Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, I welcome Joe Adam to the show. Joe is the engineering and maintenance manager at Roche Diabetes. We discuss using ultrasound for low-speed applications, why precision maintenance is so important, and his progress through the reliability journey. If your company sells products or services to engaged maintenance and reliability professionals, tell your marketing manager about Rob's Reliability Project. I have various advertising options available. So to learn more about those, send me a message on LinkedIn or send me an email to robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. Lastly, if you haven't yet, subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project on your favorite podcast platform. Follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn for the best memes in the industry. And check out Rob's Reliability Tip of the Day podcast if you haven't yet. Now, before we get into the interview with Joe Adams, this episode is sponsored by UE Systems, and here's more about that. UE Systems has been the premier source of ultrasound instruments, technologies, and support for 45 years. From handheld inspection tools, state-of-the-art, and complementary software, and now permanent sensors with 24-7 condition monitoring, UE Systems has everything you need to take your ultrasound program to the next level. UE Systems has given us at Rob's Reliability Project a great, and you as listeners to Rob's Reliability Project, a great offer. We have a special offer. If you go to uesystems.com slash training slash online courses, the link is in the podcast notes. You can get a complimentary online training course from UE Systems. You can choose between lubrication best practices and functions, mechanical inspection and lubrication, electrical inspection, steam trap inspection, or compressed air leak survey. So if you go to uesystems.com slash training slash online courses and sign up for one of those courses, enter Rob's Reliability Project In the comment section, you'll get that course for free, a savings up to $495. So that's a great offer. I definitely recommend you check that out. I took one of the courses last year. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I also learned a fair amount from it. So definitely go out there, definitely register for an online course, and you can do it at work, at home, wherever. It's great. Definitely sign up and get that for free. Thanks for listening. Now we'll get into the interview with Joe Adam. Hey guys, we are back and this week we have a special guest, Joe Adam. Joe, how are you? I'm doing well, Rob. How are you this morning? I'm doing great and thanks for joining us today on a on a balmy Saturday. Um, so for everyone listening, Joe is the manager of engineering and maintenance at Roche Diabetes Care out of Indianapolis. So Joe... You know, before we get started into the some of the work that you've done lately, do you want to just give us a little background on yourself? Like, how'd you get your start in reliability? 
Well, yeah. So basically my first role out of college, my first real job, I was working for what was then uh, Bethlehem Steel up in uh, northwest Indiana, right outside Chicago. Um, I started there as a electrical maintenance uh, foreman um, supporting their cold sheet mill. Um, so that was, I guess, right out of the gate, I was involved with maintenance and reliability um, as being a, a green green person coming out of college. You don't really know what to expect uh, once you get your engineering degree. Um, I knew I wanted to be hands-on, and uh, most of my family, um, that's where I'm originally from, that part of the state, and uh, they were involved in the steel industry. So I got my start there. Um, learned a lot about preventative maintenance and maintenance practices, um, standard work, um, how to lead teams, and uh, how to how to help out uh, as a leader uh, in those situations from dealing with a uh, uh, skilled trades standpoint and what their gaps were and where I could help them out. Um, from there, I mean, it's just been like everything else. It's a journey, right? Uh, kind of moved around different companies uh, through steel making, uh, metals industry, uh, did a couple years working in the automotive industry, um, all engineering or maintenance type roles, uh, spent a little bit time as on the operations side in a couple of those uh, companies throughout the years. Um, but I've, my heart's always gone back to maintenance and reliability for some reason. So that's kind of where I'm at right now um you know just picking up pieces of everything every experience is part of your uh your legacy and, and what you've learned so i try to bring those to every place that i've been <laughs> yeah it's it's always good to keep learning as you go and you know as long as you like maintenance and reliability it's it's been a pretty good career path so far Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting people, a lot of interesting stories along the way. Um, you know, I've been in this now for ooh, 20, going on 23 years, um, different places, but, uh, I always put, peel back to stuff in the past and say, Hey, we I've tried that before and either that worked or that didn't work. And how can that fit into this current situation? Um, yeah, so that's that's a little bit about me and, and what I've been doing um, so far. Awesome. So, like, do you want to just tell us a little bit about Roche Diabetes? Like, what do you manufacture? What's kind of the size of the operation? How many people are, is like are on your team? Oh, sure. So um, here in the Indianapolis campus, um, it's actually the uh, – North American headquarters for the diagnostics part of Roche's business. Roche has two main parts, diagnostics and pharma. Um, so we're the North American headquarters. The campus is here. Um, within diagnostics, there's basically two separate parts within that section also. Um, one is more the laboratory side, uh, where you got the big lab equipment for doing um cancer testing, uh, tissue testing, molecular testing, blood testing. Um, the section that I'm a part of is diabetes care. Um, and we actually, here in Indianapolis, we manufacture the AccuCheck branded 
diabetic test strips that you'll see in the market. So if you go to your pharmacy, um, you'll see an AccuCheck guide product, or um, that's our newest platform that's out right now, um, where you'll get the meter and the strips that go along with it so people can test their uh, blood glucose. So we actually make the uh, strips here in in Indianapolis. we make them from the raw material all the way through, put them into the vial, uh, put them into the packaging that the consumer sees on the shelf. So um, we're one of two sites that make that branded product. The other one, we have a sister plant in, in Puerto Rico, um, but we manufacture pretty much all of the AccuCheck guide um, or other parts of the world would be instant product for the entire world. Awesome. That's always really cool. Like that's one thing that we, we get to experience a lot in maintenance and reliability is like we're touching customers and we're touching products that not a lot of people get to see. I mean, for me, myself personally, like I used to work in mining. Now I work in oil and gas. And so it's like, we're actually delivering, you know, power and energy, like raw materials to the world. And you're actually delivering you know, CPG products that are helping people. So it's pretty cool to talk to you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I was actually uh, talking with some other people. You know, they are asking me the same thing. You know, what do you guys do? And I had samples with me. Um, And unless you're, you know, diabetic yourself or um, know somebody that is, you're probably not too familiar with that product because you don't look at it when you go go to the drugstore, you know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's always cool though. So, so Joe, you, you know, like recently, like obviously we were connected through uh, UE Systems and recently you've done some work with them on some low speed rotating equipment. Do you want to just give us a little background on what you've been doing? Yeah, so um, that was an interesting um, interaction, right? So as part of our journey here at Roche, um, just in the last couple of years, um, we've expanded our, the tools in our toolkit for the team. Um, you know, I've got a team of, uh, 54 people, um, about half of them are maintenance specialists. So about 25 maintenance specialists, um, as through part of our journey, we've been getting into more of the predictive technology space. And in the last few years, we've really um, gone in really deep with ultrasound. Um, One of the reasons was that it's a multifaceted tool for us, you know, as anybody can use it for um, air leak surveys and things like that. But, you know, we're using it more into our lubrication practices and our mechanical detection methods because a lot of the equipment that we use is running at a low rpm speed and typical vibration analysis can't pick that type of thing up so really um, what the team here has done and really it's been led by one of our senior maintenance specialists uh, i want to give a shout out to todd todd sullivan has really been going in really deep into the space and, and working with ue systems and trying to understand how we can leverage their tools to help us better. And what we found um, over the last few years, since we are so low speed, we're just been digging into what are the capabilities and um, the reason that we got hooked up together, you and I, Rob, through UE was we did a 
uh, Todd and I did a case study presentation at their conference last year, and it was pretty eye-opening for the participants, but also UE to see how far we were able to take their technology um, using the low speed. And they've been helping us out with how to filter to get down to those areas um, so that we can really tell where our failure modes are and what's going on. And one of the real neat case studies that uh, Todd was able to work on for, for our front end process where we start the manufacturing for our strips. Um, if you can picture, you know, you've got a unwind and a rewind tension. Our product is on a, on a web or on a spool coiled material. Um, and as it's going through the process, one or both of those on that uh, laser ablation system was um, giving us some tension faults throughout. And as he was digging in with ultrasound at this low RPM, it was below 100 RPM is what he was trying to uh, work on. You know, he was discovering all these little failures going on within the bearing train, um, within the shaft setup, within the motor alignment. And it, and it was a perfect example of, of not only using the technology, but using the uh, PDCA methodology to go back. Because as we'd find one thing, he would do a new baseline and go through it again, find another little thing. And we had like three continuous improvement things come out of this activity that ended up saving us, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars annually um, just from him, him learning more about how the tool can help us and using a good methodology to keep going and digging deeper into it. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's some, that's some really great work. And, and maybe like, I'd like to dig a little further. Like you mentioned, you've made, you've made a few savings in the hundred thousand dollar range. Like what types of failures are you detecting? And like, what does that process look like? Like, are you doing, you're going out with the ultrasound gun or are you using the forecast? And, and can you kind of just d give us a little more detail? So I, in the beginning, we've been just going out with the gun and um what we're finding is failures related i guess mechanically to um poor alignment um poor lubrication practices um in, in this scenario that i had just mentioned to you um what we had found is that you know this piece of equipment's been in service for like 12 years or something like that and um, the way that that shaft hangs with the motor, it's kind of cantilevered where the motor is kind of floating out there with these big, uh, brackets to hold everything on the shaft and, and through that. And what we found is that there was just so much slop, uh, designed into the drivetrain that things weren't pinned properly. So we had some moments on the motor in the back end. Um, we had the the flange bearings that were in there um this is one of the discoveries todd had is that um you know as part of our historical preventative maintenance practice it wasn't identified um to lube this thing from the oem um because there was no fittings or anything um but it was a serviceable bearing so for 12 years 
we, we you know, we've never been lubing this thing because we <laughs> assumed it was sealed, you, you know? So that was one of the discoveries that Todd had when he was going through this. So, you know, we took the assembly and we took it to our machine shop and then we had some um, ports put in through the brackets so we can actually get to these things and, and lube them. So, you know, it, it's really those, those small things, those basic, uh, you know, blocking and tackling type things that until you actually dig into a, a sub assembly that we were able to really truly understand it and, and what our failures have been over the years and, and how Todd and, and the team were able to correct that stuff. Yeah, that's, I mean, just jumping in there, like that's a something I've seen a fair amount myself is even with the factory fill, like sealed for life bearings or gearboxes, like I've seen some lubrication, like grease failures. And it's been pretty common that people in like kind of install their own Zerk fittings on those, at least from what I've seen. Yeah. And, and it was one of those things for us is just, just the way they had it mounted. It wasn't uh, where the fitting hole would have been was covered by a plate. So unless you took the whole thing apart and was very diligent to inspect it, you would have never known that it was a serviceable bearing. Um, so that, that's kind of what we did is we, we had the shop put a hole through, the sh through that mounting plate so that we can actually get grease to where it needed to go um, while it was in service. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you, you kind of mentioned the, the forecast from, uh, from UE. Um, so that's something that we're just starting to get into. Um, we've got some of our equipment um, where it's very hard for us to manually get to it with a gun. Um, so Todd's been working with the folks at UE on how we can have that set up. Um, and, and he actually installed some of that equipment over Christmas time um, so we can have it pulled out of the machine and out to the box on the outside where he can currently he's working on getting the server and everything set up but uh, we can go out and have that information dumped to our our predictive server or we can just go by with the gun and, and hook up to a couple of uh, ports and then have it dumped into the gun so we're, we're trying to get into that space right now um, it's just a, a long process with us um, from a validation standpoint, being uh, in an FDA regulated environment, we've got to make sure we dot all of our I's and cross all of our T's as we do all of our paperwork. Um, but we, we see some very fruitful things coming from that because these are areas that we would not historically have been able to reach into and see how the mechanics are working out. Yeah, that, that's the one thing about sensors that I don't think we talk about enough is just the fact that, you know, it's like it's a safety, safety conscious thing. Like I've been to a few places where, you know, the guardings are, are up and, and the only way to get past the guardings, basically lock out, tag out. And so if you can get some sensors in there, then you don't have to worry too much about accessing that and you can start looking at, you know, doing some condition based monitoring on it. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And that's the area that we're kind of focused on right now. Um, the example of where we're trying this out is on one of our packaging lines where we've got these overhead pick and place uh, robots. And you're right, we can't monitor them while they're running because um, of all the safety. Um, by pulling these signals out, we've put a couple probes on some of the uh, joints or the elbows of those pick and places so we can kind of monitor 
what's going on with, with those areas. Awesome. Now, Joe, you mentioned when we spoke before that you've recently done a benchmark marking exercise with the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. Do you want to just kind of give us an overview of like, what was that benchmarking look like? What did you learn and how did that process look like? Yeah. So that, that was interesting. Um, if, uh, so the university of Tennessee has got a reliability and maintenance uh, center. I'm sure most people may know or may not. Um, but I had seen, um, they were advertising in, um, efficient plant magazine, um, about doing some benchmarking, um, activities, uh, as part of what they called their culture improvement series. Um, so, you know, my team's been on this journey now for, uh, five years and I thought, well, you know, it'd be nice to get, you know, internally, we think we're moving in the right direction. Um, when we talk to each other, um, when we talk to counterparts within Roche, um, I thought, well, let's let's do some benchmarking outside um, and, and try to get an idea of what that looks like. So um, I contacted Klaus uh, there and, you know, they had a template of information of different KPIs and where you started and, and what you're working on. Um, and I had basically submitted all that information. And there was a little bit of back and forth on some of the data just from a uh, understanding perspective, uh, between, between them and, and, and me. And, you know, once, once we got that in, um, hadn't really heard anything for a while. And then, you know, Klaus gave me a call back later, um, with some information back, um, on what that was. And he actually told me also that, Hey, we think your team has done a great job. And um, we're actually going to award you guys with our uh, best culture startup award as part of this culture improvement series. So that was that was a pretty cool uh, external validation for the team um, that we we're moving in the right direction. That's awesome. Yeah, and congratulations on that. Now, like, what types of like you're talking about culture? Like, what types of wins have you seen from a culture perspective? And like, how have you worked on that? Well, I mean, I guess some of the basic wins that we've seen is just people now having um, a more proactive and purposeful um, interaction with what they do in their job every day. Um, is, is if we kind of put it in a roadmap scenario, um, early on when we started our journey, I would say, you know, we were the traditional, um, we're going to firefight. Uh, we're going to wait for people to call us when something goes down and we're going to do our, uh, regulatory required PM activities, right. Whether, um, they need it or not. And over the last few years, you know, we've, we've been deploying, uh, predictive technologies from our ultrasound like we talked about in our infrared um, but I think the biggest thing as we've done some skill assessments and gap assessments it's, it's more you know getting the people's mindset on on where we want to go for the future um, when, I, when I meet with the team 
and other leaders of my group meet with the team. We have this vision that we can lay out for them and say, hey, in a, in a perfect world-class environment, if we're really striving for that, this is what your day is going to look like. Your day is going to look like you know what work you've got in front of you for the next week already planned out. You may get one breakdown call, you know, per shift. Um, and everything's all ready to go for you. So when you come in on Monday morning, you already know, hey, I've got these two or three jobs to do. All the parts are already kitted for me. Everything's ready to go. I've got my job plan. I've got my all my safety things taken care of. And I just go knock those things out. And then I go home for the day. And it just kind of gets that stress level down on everybody. Um, but part of getting to that uh, future state is having people understand when you're doing those jobs, yes, yeah, sometimes you might feel, you know, they're urgent, but don't rush through them. We need to have good craftsmanship. Um, we need to go into that job and do it right the first time, which means using some precision maintenance, um, you know, tools and techniques, making sure you're doing your alignments right. Make sure that you're lubricating items right when they need to. Make sure that you're recording everything that you're doing because, you know, having that data of what you worked on or what you adjusted is sometimes as important on the back end as it is um, when you're doing the work because then from a historical perspective, we can understand what went right and what went wrong and we can kind of do an autopsy on those scenarios. Um, but it's kind of just getting that whole team to buy in and get them to do that. And one of the things that I found is that getting everybody to speak a common language. Um, in the very beginning of this journey, everybody would be out there doing their own thing. It'd be like, it was like herding cats in some cases, um, <laughs> you know, but we had to get everybody to be talking in the same language so we kind of coalesced around hey when we're talking about kpis and when we're talking about different tactics involved with different areas of maintenance and reliability let's coalesce around a common language and, and we've kind of done that by focusing in that language for us on you know metrics are going to be derived from the smrp book of knowledge we're not going to make up our own let's use some harmonized standard that way, when we go talk to other people, we can compare notes. Um, and then the other thing we've kind of harmonized around from a language perspective is all the tactics. And we've kind of harmonized around using the uptime elements. Um, you know, they've got their, their passport series of things and it touches on everything um, from leadership all the way down to tools and techniques. So we kind of harmonized around those items that way that when we're talking to each other, we're all using the same language in the same playbook. Oh, I love it. I, the one I want to really kind of dig into more, Joe, is when you were talking about doing those precision maintenance steps in the first place. Like, 
how much of a barrier was it to start getting that in place from a cultural perspective? Because I mean, obviously, you have just like everybody, you have operations barking down, you know, at you saying like, we need this equipment running immediately. Like, how did you overcome that barrier? Well, I mean, I guess it's it's two things, right? The, the first barrier we had to overcome was just in the, the team's mindset, not so much from the operation side. Um, you know, as, as you know, there's a, a gap in, in skill set for skilled trades anymore. Um, so when we bring people in, they're usually all been trained from different industries. Um, so right there, you've got this diversity of, of understanding. Um, so we, we spent some time um, understanding where the gaps were in our own team's knowledge in certain areas. And, and what we've done is we actually partnered with uh, Reliability Solutions and they come, they've come they came on site and held, so far we've done four different training sessions on getting back to basics for precision maintenance um, from, from alignments uh, to lubrication practices to t- torque settings and, and making sure we're doing all those things right. And by doing that, we've set now the entire team up on the same baseline. Whereas in the past, because everybody had differing experiences, their baselines were all different. So we kind of recalibrated internally uh, for the team first. And then now when they go out there and do things, right? And uh, if they got to go tighten a timing belt, right? In the past, they would just go wing it. Um, now it's like, Hey, go pull out your little tension gauge, make sure it's done right. You know, and remember what you were taught. Um, so that was, that's been the the first hurdle to overcome. Um, in terms of the urgency from an operation standpoint, um, that's more a partnership part with leadership, I guess. Um, letting the leadership of the operations group understand that, You know, if you give us, it's a process for us to do the right thing. So let us work through the process. Let us do it right the first time. And then you won't let us, or you won't have to have us come back and redo the work that we already have done. Um, And I think a lot of that comes to, especially if we're able to plan the work um, and have good and good methods for that, which I think we've improved in greatly. Um, we have weekly meetings with our operations counterparts for planned outage, weekly outage or PM outage activities with them. Um, so that they know, Hey, these are the jobs we have to do. And we're going to get all this done in your eight hour window. You're giving us on this piece of equipment. Um, and as we've been able to deliver to that, and they're able to get up and running coming out of those type of outages, you know, you kind of build that trust and you build that confidence. So it kind of is a self-serving in that manner, right? Um, Because they can then understand why we want to do it the way we want to do it. And then they, they reap the reward from that. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, Joe, I mean, imagine, with all the precision maintenance that you're doing, a lot of those kind of unexpected failures, or I mean, a lot of the failures went away. Like, do you have any kind of ballpark number? Like, how about your availability or your failures? Like, what kind of percentage are we talking about? 
Yeah, so I, I guess I can put it this way. Um, one of the one of the KPIs that we've monitored from the beginning of our journey until now is, is kind of just looking at the amount of hours that our maintenance specialists spend on what we deem as breakdown maintenance. Um, like I mentioned to you, we have about 25 technicians, so you know that's you know 50 some thousand hours um, in a year. Um, when we break that down, when we started on our journey, our emergency breakdown percent of work was like 65% of our work. Um, when we finished 2019, we were at 31%. Wow. You know, so if you just f use that as some type of guide in terms of just the hours um, that we spend, um, you know, as you know, uh, it costs 10 times as much to do emergency work as planned. So, you know, from that aspect, um, that's a pretty big win for us. And what's interesting between five years ago and today, I think we've got almost double the amount of equipment and we're still servicing it with the same number of maintenance techs. <laughs> wow. That, I mean, those are some great statistics out there. And I mean, for sure, like everyone listening, like if that, I mean, that's a perfect example of like, what's the ROI and what's, you know, what's the benefit of doing great maintenance? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and everybody reads about it and, and it's just, how can you put it into practice? And, and we're not even to the level that we want to get to. I know the team, um, we've got a, a group on our team that we call the reliability strategy team, right? And uh, we meet every month. We talk about what we want to focus on for the year and what progress we're making. And I mean, our ultimate goal from that group is we want to get that emergency work down to that 10% range, right? Um, and that's really what that vision statement I was telling you earlier about um, what that looks like for people when they come into work. That's what that would look like is we get down to 10 percent, um, you know, pretty much everything's planned. Everything's proactive um, and, and get into that type of work environment. Love it. Now, Joe, I mean, obviously, you've seen a lot of success in your reliability program. So do you have any like top tips for people who are trying to get, you know, their program on track? So I guess one of the things that um, we've seen, and it's a back and forth, and we even talk about it, you know, there's always that three steps forward, two steps back thing. Um, the hardest part whenever you put in anything new is being able to sustain it. Um, so it's having the discipline to sustain whatever you're putting in place and don't pick too many things. Um, when we started on our journey, um, and we put together our first reliability strategy team and we were trying to figure out how we wanted to, you know, get moving on this road. Um, we started off with two KPIs. And we just focused everything around those two major KPIs. And, and at the beginning, what we focused on was, okay, let's look at the equipment availability because um, we have the biggest impact on that area um, from an OEE perspective. And then we looked at what where are we spending our time? Like I mentioned to you about 
we, we track uh, what percent of our work is an emergency and PM and planned and predictive. Um, by focusing on just those two small areas, you're not spread out. You know, I think what happens a lot is people keep adding more KPIs to their dashboard, you know, and, and you can't really focus on more than three things at a time. Um, even especially when you're trying to do um, a change like this. And this is really what this is. This is a change process. Um, but because if you have too many, you're not focused on the right things. So I would say keep it simple. Um, you know, so, some of my group, you know, in the beginning, I would always say that, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Um, they actually put together a kiss poster, you know, of the band for me uh, when I'd come into the meetings. Um, but start start there and have a have a clear vision on and where you want to go. Because um, the other thing is is anything in in maintenance and reliability. What you do now is planting the seed, and you're not going to reap the benefits of it for a couple years from a culture standpoint. So it's kind of like growing a tree. Um, because if you think you can get it really quick, it's not going to be sustainable um, because then you're just going to be jumping to the next thing and, and forgot about it. And then you're going to regress. And instead of being three steps forward and two back, you're going to be two steps forward and three back. And you're just going to be worse off than where you were. Um, and then it's just making sure that you can coalesce around everybody being on the same page. Um, and yeah, there's going to be bumps in the road along the way. And we've had our share of bumps, um, you know, um, where we've kind of went a little further backwards in some areas, but then we refocus on that area and keep moving it forward. Awesome. Awesome. Those are some pretty great tips. Now, Joe, one question I always love to ask people is where do you see the future of reliability going in the next five to 10 years? Like we've seen a lot of this new, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, AI, like where do you see it going? That's interesting. Cause I, I see where all that's going with the sensors and all the AI. Um, but I also think by doing that, what we're losing out on is the the human sense aspect of of it um i was talking with a colleague at uh our one of our smrp indiana chapter events here in the last few weeks and he brought up a good point with all the sensors and and all that stuff people think they can manage maintenance and reliability now from a desk and just look at all the dashboards um, but you're losing out on, you know, the hearing what's going on, the smelling of what's going on. Um, so I, I think the future is going to go more towards all the sensors and all the dashboards and all the augmented stuff. But people still have to realize you've got to go to the floor. Um, you've got to walk the floor. Sometimes you just got to stand there and, and not do anything but observe. Um, I make it a point every morning or near every morning, I go walk uh, the production floor 
and, and say good morning to just about every operator on the floor because um, then that gives them an opportunity to stop me and bring up something whether it's about their equipment or about any other thing that maybe I can help them with. Um, and I think that's one thing that I think for the future we can't lose sight of, even with all the, the neat technology that's coming out that's gonna make the job easier from some aspects. But if we don't still go out there and watch and listen and smell what's going on, um, you're going to be no better off other than you spent a bunch of money on sensors. <laughs> no, I mean, for me, honestly, like doing that walk down and saying hi to the operators, like that's a big tip that people should take away. Um, you know, because like your one is you're building culture, you're building relationships with those guys and they will feel comfortable coming to you with solutions or problems. And usually it's both. Um, and so it's, it's really huge for me. And I think that like, if you're listening and you don't get out on the shop floor, like you're definitely missing out on opportunity. Oh, definitely. I, I don't know how many times just a small little innocuous comment from somebody on a morning walkthrough kind of leads to something festering in my head that I then tell my team and then they go out there and, and follow up on it and say, yeah, hey, there was something going on, or maybe there's not, but at least we circle back and get rid of that um, not valid um, observation that was made to the operator so that, the, you know, it's always good to circle circle back. You know, communication is, is a circular process. So if they're providing you some feedback, you always have to circle back and say, hey, yes, we did this, or hey, what you told me wasn't true so this is what we found so next time when you have that observation uh you know you might want to look at it from this lens love it love it love it now joe wrapping up here do you have anything to plug like if people are listening obviously they can connect with you on linkedin um are you going to be at any conferences do you want them to follow you on linkedin like where, where what's up with you well i mean really i'm gonna um as part of that award that we won from University of Tennessee um, actually this next week is the their Marcon 2020 conference um, so I'll be down there with some of my team accepting that award from them um, I'll actually be doing a, a presentation there on our uh, on our journey kind of like what kind of some of the things we talked about today um, but a little bit more in depth um, other than that, I mean, I would say, you know, get involved with your local SMRP chapters if you have it. Stay in loop with what's going on in the industry through them, um, through, you know, whatever means necessary. The podcasts like you have, anybody else's, um, you can always learn something. And it's always good to, to talk with other like-minded people in the industry to understand what's going on and, um what are some opportunities that uh, you may be able to help them with, or you might learn something from them that you might not have thought about in a long time. And it could be applied in a different uh, mindset on, on where you're at with your group. I love it. Yeah. And that's something that we, like I, I've, I've had a bunch of calls this week and really like a lot of people are surprised about how open the reliability community is. And, 
And it was funny, like one of the calls, the guy was like, oh, I was surprised that you would talk to me. And, you know, oh yeah, it's like the more I do these podcasts, like I said to him, I was like, well, when I started this show, I was surprised that people who wrote books about topics would come on the show. And now I just realized that we're all out here helping each other. And that's just how it is. So. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I think, you know, I'm a part of the Indiana chapter for SMRP. And, uh, you know, I go and talk to colleagues and, and we're in, you can say, similar industries, but we share best practices from this space because they're not trade secrets. And, and really, it's, it's a good way to kind of um, learn from each other, vent about certain scenarios, and you, you never know what you'll pick up. Um, because it's not reinventing the wheel. Um, it's just how can you utilize the wheel in a different way based on your circumstances, right? So um, that's the one thing about this community for maintenance and reliability. Everybody's always willing to share um, ideas, reach out to each other. Um, so I would definitely say take advantage of that whenever you can. Yeah, I love it, love it, love it. And yeah, absolutely. Like if you're listening, you have any questions or anything, feel free to hit me up either on LinkedIn or send me an email to Rob's Reliability Project at gmail.com. I'm happy to give you my opinion, my thoughts, or my expertise as much as you want. And yeah, I mean, Joe, I, I really appreciate you taking your time out of your weekend to come come talk to us. Oh, no problem. Thanks for uh, reaching out. And, uh, you know, thanks for Marine for hooking us up together. Yeah, I hope I hope we bump into each other at one of the conferences this year. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, you were talking about conferences. I know um, the Marcon's coming up, and just a shout out for UE Systems. They've got their conference coming up in May um, on ultrasound, very specific. Um, but they also have a whole wing on reliability initiatives, also. So that's I know that's in May. Yeah, that's I believe it's the second week of May. And yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're looking for that one, I believe it's ultrasoundworld.com if you want to check that one out. Perfect. So Joe, I appreciate you coming on today. Oh, thanks for having me, Rob. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. And, and for everyone listening, I appreciate you listening. If you haven't yet, subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week.